Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. And I thought, how am I going to deliver it? I want to deliver it so it comes across powerfully, effectively. And I thought, what's the best way of doing it? And so I looked up uh, a couple of definitions. I looked up, first of all, definition of sermon. Just to get some clues. And I'll do it properly. And the sermon definition, it says, an often lengthy and tedious speech of reproof and exhortation. So I thought, well... (laughs) We'll give sermon a miss, we'll try something else. So I looked up preach. And for preach it says to give religious or moral instruction. It's better. But it says especially in a tedious manner. (laughs) So I don't want to do a sermon, I don't want to preach. And I think I can probably also promise no burping as well. (laughs) Actually I've got an interesting fact for you about burping. It says... Before we go on, the average person burps about 15 times a day. If they don't burp 15 times a day, then they might be breaking wind instead. So if you're burping, fine, be happy. If you're not, maybe you need to see your doctor. Uh, I want to look this morning at uh, Judas and Peter. Uh, We've got two disciples that, uh, in their own way, went about things. Judas betrayed Jesus and and Peter denied knowing him. What was the difference between the two of them? How come Judas died and Peter didn't? And does it matter to us now? I mean, if it does, what's the significance for us? So we'll look first at Judas. If you want to follow it in the Bible, it's in Matthew 26. And we'll start at verse 14. It says, then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. We're going to jump on. Verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. And Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, yes, it is you. And we'll move on again. It's to the uh, Garden at Gethsemane, and it's verse 47. And Jesus is speaking with his disciples. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, 
drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? At that time Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So that's Judas to start with. Let's have a look at Peter again in Matthew chapter 26. And we're starting in verse 31 now. It's after the Last Supper and Jesus is with the disciples. Verse 31, Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, Lord, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. And move to verse 57. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He's spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He's worthy of death, they answered. Then they spat in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You were also with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. 
that's the background. Why did these two people, these two disciples, behave in this way? If we look into it a little bit, we know that the Jews were under Roman authority at this time. And the disciples, like many other people, they were hoping for a leader that would bring them victory and freedom from their oppressors. They'd misunderstood the Old Testament prophets who'd said that Jesus uh, would establish an earthly kingdom and that he'd free Israel from the Romans. So maybe these two acted in this way because they were trying to force Jesus' hand. Maybe they wanted this all-conquering saviour that was going to save them. Maybe that's why Peter followed Jesus after his arrest. Maybe he was still expecting to see Jesus, this mighty person, perform some miracles and save himself. But they were both disciples, they'd both heard Jesus preach, they'd been with him for quite some time, they'd seen him perform a lot of miracles. So was what they'd seen the same as what they'd expected or hoped for? How could someone preaching love, grace and forgiveness take on the Romans? They wanted their king to be a powerful all-conquering leader. Maybe so that if that was the case, when he comes to power and his kingdom rules, they would have high positions in that kingdom. But Jesus had been very clear with them about what was going to happen. In Luke chapter 9 verse 44, Jesus had said to them, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. Time and again he told them it was God's plan for him as a Messiah to be rejected by the religious leaders, to be betrayed, to suffer unjustly and to be crucified. But this wasn't really what they wanted to hear. And we know a little bit more about Judas. We know he was a treasurer of this group. Um, but we also know he got a love of money and he was stealing from the purse. Uh, when we read about Mary anointing Jesus with the expensive perfume, it's Judas that objects to this. Uh, if, if you want to look in John chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, we're told, Judas says, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Judas didn't see Jesus as his Lord or Saviour. You can look through there. The highest title you'll ever find that he can give Jesus is Rabbi. And we'll come back to that in a little bit. So if Judas was stealing from his disciples, from the disciples, his disciples, from Jesus' disciples, is it any surprise that when he wants to force Jesus' hand, he's decided enough is enough, this man's got to show himself to be the powerful leader we want. Judas sees a way of doing it and making himself a bit of money at the same time. We know the rest of Judas' story. He receives his pieces of silver. Jesus is arrested. He's questioned. He's beaten, he's mocked, he's spat on, he's flogged, and he's finally crucified. Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 to 5, tells us, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the thirty silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. 
What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. He went away and hanged himself. So what are we to make of this? What Judas has done? Do we think he's sorry for what he's done? It says he was seized with remorse, but has he repented? It makes, it makes more sense to understand what Judas has done and, and how he's reacted when we, we realise the two types of sorrow. There's a worldly sorrow and there's a godly sorrow. The worldly sorrow brings regret, possibly because you regret your actions, yes, but more likely you regret the consequences. Maybe you regret because you're going to be found out. You regret the pain that what your sin has caused might bring you, regardless of anybody else. That's the worldly sorrow. But that was Judas' sorrow. Godly sorrow isn't just feeling sorry and regretting your actions. Or even promising that you won't do it again. A godly sorrow leads to repentance. We know this. Peter says as much when he writes, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Judas hadn't repented, but what do we understand repentance to be anyway? What is it? You look it up, you find various definitions all coming to the same conclusion. It can be defined as a heartfelt sorrow for sin, it says, a renouncing of sin and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. So it's not just a thought or a feeling. It's not just feeling sorry, it's, it's an action. It's an action in that you turn away from sin and you turn to God. So Judas didn't repent. He might have felt sorry, but he didn't turn to God. He chose worldly sorrow when he died. But as we said, Peter didn't die. So let's just compare his attitude to Judas' attitude. Peter's attitude was to be loyal, to be with Jesus and to defend him. And we know... Peter had a, a puffed up estimation of himself. He, he was full of grand words and um, importance and puffed up in his own estimation of his loyalty to Jesus. But when it came to the crunch, it turned out he was weak. So where's the difference? Judas had had a what's in it for me attitude. And he probably, know, probably through work maybe, you've, you've come across people that have got this one, what's in it for me. And no matter what the situation, they want to appear as a team player. They'll act as though they're a team player, but eventually this what's in it for me is going to give them away. And it can ruin the team. It can even destroy the team. And this is the attitude that Judas had had. But Jesus knew when he chose his followers that they weren't perfect. He knew what was going to happen. But he wasn't looking for perfection. What Jesus wanted, he wanted real people. He wanted people he could change. People his love could change. <coughs> Judas never got round to the point of surrendering himself fully to God. I remember we said he could never bring himself to call Jesus anything other than Rabbi. And Judas didn't give up his worldly ambition or his love of money. And while he accepted this position as a minister of Christ, he wasn't living that position. 
he felt he could retain his own judgment. He felt able to criticise and accuse, as we saw with the expensive perfume. Judas had the chance to be changed, but he didn't take it. But Peter was changed by Jesus' love. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 to 18, when Jesus asked the disciples, Who do you say I am? Peter answers, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, saying, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So we can see from this that Jesus knew what was really in Peter's heart. He knew what was ahead. So knowing this, it's no surprise that Peter, when he realises, when this rooster has crowed, Peter's realised what he's done, and he weeps bitterly. He says he goes outside and he weeps bitterly. His tears aren't just for worldly sorrow, for just feeling sorry for himself. He, his, his tears show his shame and his remorse. His sorrow, his repentance is in his tears. And this repentance that we've looked at, it, it brings forgiveness. cloud of Peter's denial was completely removed from him. When Jesus had rose again and he appeared to the disciples and they were fishing. And three times Peter had denied knowing Jesus. But now Jesus has said to Peter, three times he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And three times Peter's replied, yes Lord, you know that I love you. Now Jesus had got a significant role for Peter to play. And I say he knew what was really in his heart. He knew he was impetuous, he knew he could be unreliable, but he knew he could be changed. Jesus was telling him to feed his lambs, to take care of his sheep. In effect, Jesus is telling Peter to look after his flock. For a man who showed his weakness when it came to the crunch, this is one heck of a calling. God forgave Peter, and he, he went on to use him powerfully. I think Owen's leading us at the moment, he's leading us through Acts, and if you want to see just how powerfully, through chapters 1 to 12, you can see what Peter goes on to do, and how he brought thousands of people to Christ. So that's Judas and Peter, but what's the relevance for us? Do we deny the Lord? What does our relationship with Jesus look like? Do we just accept him as rabbi, as a teacher? Or have we made him Lord of our lives? By that, we have to mean all of our lives. All the time, everywhere, in every way. How could we deny or disown Jesus? The disciples were shocked when Jesus spoke to them and told them what was going to happen. And maybe we find it shocking ourselves to think of us ourselves like Judas or Peter. Are we really like that? Now, when I was researching this, this subject, I found a couple of statements, and it's made about the church in general. The first one, it says, In every church, it seems, there are those who fail to publicly confess their faith in Christ. This is a form of denial. 
There are so many who neither accept nor reject Jesus. Rather, they simply neglect him. They put off a decision about the Lord. And this is a form of denial. God gives us many opportunities for witness, but we remain silent. This is a form of denial. The second statement says, Surprisingly, I think Judas represents us good, faithful church people. We want to follow Jesus just as Judas wanted to. We think we are following Jesus when we're actually following our image of Jesus. We think our community is living as a foretaste of the reign of God when really our community more closely reflects the values of the society around us. Individually and communally, we do in fact betray Jesus often, yet we can't accept this. We're baffled when someone points out that we're imprisoned by the ways of the world rather than the ways of God. We, like Judas, may even feel betrayed by the good news of Jesus, especially if it doesn't take away illness and suffering in ourselves or our loved ones. The statement finishes it. It says, if we're honest with ourselves, most of us will realise that we're a great deal like Judas. Now, when I read those, I thought, are these too strong? Should I really include these? Um, it's saying some very, some very strong words in there. But I felt compelled to keep them in because I believe this church is built on strong foundations. I believe we can cope, we can handle these questions, but we can't allow it to make us complacent. We've got to be alert. We've got to be asking ourselves, how, com- how often do we deny Jesus? It's maybe more often than we think. It might be in little ways that we don't even notice at the time. We've got to realise it can be very easy to deny or betray Jesus. And I found a list of a few things. Maybe we fail to defend him when his name is taken in vain. Maybe we fail to acknowledge or confess him. Maybe we fail to communicate the love and gratitude we feel knowing him and sharing in his love. By word or deed we can betray him every day. We can do so by acts of omission or commission. Sometimes simply being silent can betray him. We need, as he instructed, to confess him before men. We need for others to see our good works, not so that we receive glory, but so that those good works reflect the glory on him. Jesus told us he would be our agent before the Father if we confessed him, but if we deny him, he will also deny us. Now this confessing Jesus before men got me thinking because it got me thinking to when I started the job I'm in. Some of you know what I do. I started with a highways agency a couple of years ago and confessing him before men has, has been relevant for me ever since day one really. Um, I'll explain why. Day one we sat in a room in Manchester, about 20 of us on the course. The first day we've all just met each other for the first time. And the trainer is up at the front and they do this thing. You sat in a semicircle and it goes round the semicircle. You introduce yourself, a bit about your history, and then you have to say something about yourself that isn't apparent from just looking at you, that other people don't already know. I think sometimes they call it circle of death and it feels like that when you're sat in there. <laughs> 
Um, so you sat there and, and you're thinking, well, that's all right. There's going to be loads of things, loads of things I can think of. And I was right round the end of the semicircle. So I thought, I've got plenty of time. Think of something. And my mind gone blank. I've just dried up completely. So I thought, well, don't worry. There's, I don't know, 15, 16 other people before me. I'll get some ideas from them. <laughs> so I've listed some of the things down that I can remember them saying. But instead of these, these ideas that they were coming out with prompting me, I'm thinking, oh, no, I could have used that one myself. No, that's another one gone. <laughs> the first guy, he says, I'm ambidextrous. So, you know. The second one, he says, uh, well, I'm restoring an old banger. Interested in cars, I'm restoring an old banger. I thought, not bad, but I can't do that. Some of them were quite impressive. I mean, the, there was one guy who said, I haven't got cartilage in either knee, but I play squash every week. Hey, how do you do that? <laughs> but I couldn't compete with that one, and another one gone. And it's moving around the circle. And as it's moving around, I just became aware of a voice inside that's saying, tell them about me. I tried to dismiss this voice. <laughs> and it moves around and it's getting closer. And another lad says, I'm a Chef Wednesday fan. I thought, is that impressive? No <laughs> <Get> way. <laughs> Big deal. And this voice again says, tell them about me. And I tried to dismiss it. And a lady, she sat there, she said proudly, I gave birth without gas and air. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> and this voice now, it's getting louder. And it, it says, tell them about me, tell them you're a Christian. And I thought, please give me another option. <laughs> And it's getting closer to my turn, and another lad says, I made it to Bus Driver of the Year Regional Finals. Really good. And now this voice, it says, tell them about me, tell them you've been baptised, tell them you're a Christian. There's only one more lad before me now, and he says, I've met John Prescott. I thought, big deal, thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> and it's my turn, and all of a sudden, I'm there, and I'm, I'm blurting it out, saying, I've been baptised, I'm a Christian. And the silence... And it's like tumbleweed blows across the room. And what seemed like hours was only seconds before the trainer says, oh, I'm a Christian as well. I thought, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I say it's been with me ever since I started that job, confessing him before men. It started a conversation in that room then that it's really, it's continued ever since. I mean... Now we've finished training, obviously, I'm out doing the job. And because of what I said then, it's quite often the topic of conversation when we're out in the vehicle. There's only two of us, so I've got a captive audience, so they can't get away anyway. <laughs> but uh, going back to that list of denials and, and betrayals, what's our response to those statements? If our response is, surely our church isn't like that, then... That sounds a lot like what Judas and Peter's response was. But thankfully we've got the same choices that they've got. We can choose worldly sorrow, as Judas did. 
Or we can choose godly sorrow which brings repentance that leads us to our salvation. We've got to ask ourselves which one we'll choose. It's a choice we can't take lightly. In fact, it's, it's no overstatement to see that as a life or death question. We need to choose godly sorrow that leads to repentance. As I was writing this, choose this godly sorrow, I just got this image coming into my mind of, remember the white t-shirts that said choose life, the wham t-shirts from the 80s, it just kept coming into my mind, I thought well maybe you wouldn't want to put choose godly sorrow, so we put choose life, but <laughs> we've got to choose godly sorrow because it leads to repentance and because repentance then leads to forgiveness. There has to be repentance before we can expect to be forgiven. Jesus said, if a brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. You see the order of events there, it's repentance followed by forgiveness. So just to clarify, repentance, it's a change of the heart. It's not just a feeling of guilt or sorrow. And that change of heart, it doesn't guarantee that you'll never sin again. But if you change your heart to consciously turn away from the sin and to turn to God, you can then ask him for help if you're faced with similar problems again. We've mentioned the good works that Peter went on to do, but even he got it wrong again. If you want to have a read of Galatians in your own time, chapter 2, verse 11, you'll see how even though he's been changed, he's got this purpose, God's seen uh, what he's capable of, he still needs correcting by Paul. So these lessons are not just for our own benefit. We might come across people or we might already know people who are stuck in worldly sorrow and need to know about godly sorrow. We might know someone who thinks they've repented because they've turned away from sin. But they haven't realised now that they've got to turn to God. We shouldn't deny Jesus by keeping quiet. Our responsibilities don't end with ourselves on that. And it might be that there's times when we're the ones that need the help. The times when we feel we can't help ourselves or stop ourselves from sinning. As I said before, I believe this church has got strong foundations. It won't collapse if we turn to it for help when we need help. And I've realised this on a personal level over the past few months, really. Um, although it's taken this preach that isn't a preach, remember, <laughs> for me to decide to take some action on it. So to close then, when judgment comes, Judas won't be able to accuse God for not caring and for not trying to reach out to him. And the same is true for you and me. Jesus loves us. Jesus died for us. What are we going to do with it? Will we, follow Jesus, will we follow Judah's footsteps into worldly sorrow? That life that eventually will lead to your own destruction? Or do we prefer to follow Peter's footsteps? Although he was far from perfect, although he was weak when it came to it, he followed Jesus, he believed in him, 
and he was saved for eternity. So what choice are we going to make? And just finish with a prayer. And as we pray, just think of what we've said. Invite Jesus into your heart. Invite him to be Lord of your life. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.